As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? So I think what we're seeing now is this the first like native to video products. Like, and I think we're one of them. And yeah, they're going to change the way, I think they're going to change the way we do just about everything in life over the next few years. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson, the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times. Thank you for tuning in. I have a question for you. How much time, say in the last week, have you spent on video? So that's Zoom, FaceTime, Google Hangouts, even, uh, even Microsoft Teams. I have to admit, I don't think I've ever used Teams. I haven't used it yet. I'm trying to avoid it. But uh, anyhow, for a lot of you, it's a lot of time. And out here, uh, more and more people are betting on video as the next big tech wave, kind of like smartphones and before that, the internet itself, which is coming along to change everything. That's the idea anyway. What do you think? Or do you think that once the pandemic ends, we'll all just stampede away from Zoom and get back to normal life? This week's guest is betting very much on the former. He is Phil Libin, who you may recall has been on this pod before, many moons ago. He's the founder of Evernote as well as All Turtles, uh, the AI studio slash incubator. He's also a devout faster, so he goes for days on end without eating. It's something he swears by. It sounds like total torture to me. But anyhow, his latest company is called Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And what the company does is basically make Zoom not suck. And it does that by allowing you to do a bunch of different stuff like shrink yourself down into a corner, get bigger, throw up slides, music, whatever. It allows you to effectively make your own newscast, if you will. And apparently, it's very user-friendly. I wouldn't know, of course, because it's still in beta testing. Um, but that has not stopped the company, which is all of five months old, from raising $36 million from... Sequoia Capital, the Instagram founders, and loads of other folks out here. And again, the bet is that video, as a kind of a core part of life, is here to stay regardless of what happens going forward. And that there's going to be a whole bunch of companies that are cropping up to facilitate that big shift. And one of them being... Mm-hmm. Now, if you're skeptical, have a listen. Uh, Phil makes an interesting case. Um, you should let me know what you think. You can tweet at me or you can email me at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. I'll even read out some 
yays and nays from the crowd on next week's pod um, if you guys are feeling really enthusiastic one way or the other. So anyhow, I'm going to stop talking and I will hand it over now to my conversation with Phil Libin, founder of Mm-hmm. Enjoy. So before we get into the main thrust of the pod, the most important question is, are you still fasting? Uh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, I just started. I'm not going to eat anything this week. So my, You're not going to eat me- anything this week. My next meal is going to be um, Saturday dinner. It so is. Ate, it is. Two, it is Monday morning. Yeah, well, I ate yesterday, so I'm going to do a six day fast this week, which is not like not that common. I haven't done one of those since last month. Um, but yeah, this is my this is my no eating week. So this is the the way of, your way of life now. Probably, uh, wow. it's harder under lockdown. Um, eating is an interesting thing to do, and the day. When every day is like every other day, you need more interesting things to do. So it's harder. Like when I was, you know, back in the before times when I was traveling around, like there's yeah. always something interesting. It was easy, it was easy to just not think about it. Plus, like I got to, I got to have so many great meals in restaurants all over the world that I was like, well, I'm only going to eat when something is really worthwhile. Kind yeah. Of a very lucky lifestyle. But now, you know, it's all, it's all the same. So it's, yeah, it's, it is all the same. Yeah. So it, it is, is harder, but probably, probably more important now than before. Well, so speaking of lockdown and the world kind of falling apart, that is basically the genesis of your new company, yes? Yeah, yeah. We started working on it in May. Why? Is it after after the Zoom call number 978? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. When the pandemic started and the kind of lockdown started in like early March, I think, we, I think we've been, yeah, we've been like remote since, since early March, kind of sent everyone home and... Um, you know, we're just working to try to keep a, a few different things, you know, alive. Like mm. it was a very chaotic time, but also and that, just so, just so people know that when you say sent everybody home, you're talking about all turtles. Yeah, yeah. So all turtles is the product studio that that that, that we run uh, that mm-hmm came out of, and right. we had I think eight or nine different projects going when the pandemic started, and I had an all hands, and I just decided I'm just going to optimize for not having to lay anyone off. So I just right. kind of decided that like what I cared about was I just don't want to fire anyone during the pandemic. I don't want to lay anyone off. And, um, you know, that wasn't that wasn't the advice that like most startups were getting. And it, it kind of makes sense. Like I get the, you know, make cuts fast idea. Yeah. But I just didn't feel like it. Like I didn't have any good reason. I was just like, I just don't want to. So we decided to just optimize ourselves to maximize the chances of everyone keeping their job. And um, so two months into it, everyone is heads down. We're working harder than ever. But things are still kind of you know, tedious and yeah. dreary. And so it, it all, it came out of that. It sort of started as a joke to just try to liven things up a little bit. And was this something that you started working on personally, or did we like, actually, I'm tired of Zooms. Let's make Zooms cooler. And then you got a team on it. How, you know, how did it work? It started out with me just screwing around with backgrounds. In fact, like there's some, like I tweeted, I think in like April, just like some experiments, like I wasn't working on it. I wasn't like thinking I was working on something. I was just like screwing around. So I had this uh, green camp towel that I found that I just had lying around in my house from like, yeah. the last time I went camping, which was never, uh, for some <laughs> reason I had a camping towel, uh, and I hung, but it was green. So I, like I, I, I tacked it to the wall behind yeah. me and just started like projecting things onto it, just using like the zoom green screen stuff. And it was just kind of something fun to do, like in yeah. meetings to liven things up a little bit. And, you know, and then I started like 
putting slides back there. And I just noticed that I was getting really good reactions to that. Like people right. just liked it. And so we got one of our engineers, Steve, uh, working on it. So Steve and I just like spent, you know, a few nights just throwing ideas back and forth and prototyping things quickly. And then it just kind of, it just kind of snowballed from there. So yeah, so it literally started off as a joke in May and then whatever it's been five months later, it's, it's where it is now. And is that Mount Fuji behind you? A, a depiction yeah, yeah, of Mount yeah, Fuji? Yeah, this is, this is a red Fuji. And is that real or is that a green screen situation? No, I'm, I'm sitting in front of a sheet. So I have oh, okay. a sheet behind me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so, and I can, you know, change all of these whatever here. oh i, I like see this. well so because that's one of the interesting things is about the green screen stuff on zoom mm-hmm. is that you know if you move around too much your ear disappears and or half your head gets chopped off or it's all funky but this looks actually much that's not happening here well that's i think what you're describing is the virtual green screen on zoom yes uh when you don't actually have like a physical backdrop so yeah. we have the same thing like if you use if you don't have a physical backdrop you use it you use mm-hmm you still get some some artifacts. I think it's pretty good, and, but it's still like there's a lot of like hard computation going on trying to figure that out. But if you have a solid background, then it's then it's almost perfect. So that's the key. I think you're going to help a lot of people with their Zoom backgrounds because everybody I see has half their heads, you know, disappear, and it's kind of quite unnerving. Yeah, I think the most important thing is lighting. So I'm just sitting opposite of a window. Uh, right. So lighting is a big deal, and then trying to have like a yeah, like a solid background. As if you can, gotcha. if you can do it, it definitely goes a long way. But yeah, we started playing around with it, and um, it was, uh, you know, it was fun. And everyone who saw it, like, was asking, you know, when they could start using it. And there wasn't, there wasn't anything to share. Like, it wasn't, there wasn't an app or anything. And so we thought, oh, maybe we should actually make something. And then, as we got more serious about it, it you know became apparent that this was actually a, you know, a non-trivial thing in the world was happening. So what is it? Mm-hmm, is a way to improve your performance on video. I think the the big change that's happening in the world right now is that uh, almost every life experience is becoming hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to exist in some mixture of in person and online and live and pre recorded. Whereas before, almost everything was just you know fit neatly into one of those boxes. Like uh, you know, you'd go to a doctor, and a doctor's visit was like in person and live. But yep. like I think now and in the future, like that's no longer the case. It's a combination of video. And sometimes in person and sometimes like looking at pre-recorded information and sometimes live. Well, the whole telehealth thing I think is really interesting because we, yeah. just, I have two young kids and they get, they're getting lots of different little illnesses and COVID times means yeah, you always have to see the doctor and they're trying to minimize how much you see the doctor physically. So I've never done a telehealth appointment before and we've probably had five yeah. in the past and, six months. And they're better. Like, like this hybrid experience is better than it used to be. So, you know. Well, it'll be interesting to see if it's better because, you know, they're not seeing your body or whatever. There might be missing things. But, yeah, I think it's for a lot of stuff. It's fine. And that's what I mean. Like, I don't think it, it's going to be all telehealth. I just think that telehealth is going to be a, a permanent part of healthcare. Yeah. Before, it really wasn't for most people. But then the same thing is happening in every industry. It's the same thing for education and for entertainment and for banking and uh, yeah. I, I think of it as the one way i started thinking about it was, was the djification of the world it's like if you imagine what a, a dj is doing a dj well, is like these a, days the dj is pressing like space bar yeah well i mean they were doing track. that for, for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but a dj is like it's a live performance of yes. pre-recorded materials right 
Yeah. And a DJ is like choosing what to play based on, you know, the vibe in the room and choosing like when to interrupt and when to banter and when to like call security. It's like this this idea of a live performance constructed of pre-recorded snippets is what everything is moving to. So like teachers now are DJs and doctors are DJs and bankers are DJs. Like this is the this is the the present and the near term future that we're all like all of these experiences are getting rewritten to incorporate portions of video and pre-recorded and live and in person. Right. And we think that if you do that, you wind up with better experiences than what they used to be like. So what is it? What does mm-hmm allow you to do? So basically I can have, you know, I, I can change the, the, the room that I'm in and I can have uh, a screen where I can just be showing things. Uh, so that the, the, the two one second pitches that we're instant, we can update and basically make it easy to right. go for this, uh, cognitively familiar style of a person, you know, sitting in front of a screen presenting things. And so I can, you know, I can change pictures and slides uh, and show, you know, movies and clips and I can also present so I can, right. you know, I can put a presentation up there and I can change my appearance. I can shrink to get out of the Oh, way. there you are. You've gone. You're tiny now. Yeah. You're, like, you're little, little Phil, your mini Phil down there I'm in the just, corner. I'm just doing gestures <laughs> on my, on my trackpad and I can shrink and grow and I can like still oh, be I here see. and change slides. I don't have to like share my screen. That's quite cool. And I can, you know, I can go full screen on a slide, for example, and uh, you know, become like a translucent Jedi Force ghost oh, and shrink, oh, and I can oh, like goodness. fly around, and I can point to, you know, I you look at you look very Obi Wan right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just it's bad skincare mostly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, the basic idea is it just lets you, uh, have much more visual control over yourself and your environment and whatever you're presenting and you can, you can show things and explain things, uh, and, um, switch between talking live, but also playing, you know, pre-recorded videos and snippets and materials. And so you can, you can kind of DJify whatever it is that you're doing. And do you know the guys at NFX? Yeah. James Courier mm-hmm. there. So I had him on a few months ago because he had written this really interesting blog and I read it and I was like, oh, I want to have him on and talk about it. And his the, the thesis, which you may have seen, is like, you know, this is the end of the social media ice age. And that, you know, for the past 10 years or since basically Snapchat, there's not been much new except for if we're taking TikTok as a bit of a separate thing in the way it has grown mm-hmm. and that now that is changing because to the to your point around this kind of merging of these different worlds doing so much more on video virtually whatever it may be that there is a whole new kind of opening for new companies to kind of create experiences or interfaces or whatever it may be do you buy that yeah i think the world is right now right in the in the midst of a massive transformation Think about like um, the very first like movies, like films ever made, like in the yeah. teens and twenties. Like they just like invented the you know the film camera, but they didn't know anything else. They hadn't invented cinema yet. They didn't have like editing or cutaways yeah. or close-ups. And so like yeah. the reality that they knew was stage plays. And so like the first movies, they were just like point of a film camera at a stage, and so it was just like actors on stage. Right. It, was, it was weird. That's not what movies were like once they kind yeah. of figured out. The rest of it, and you know, when mobile apps, for example, first came around, like for real, like when we started at Evernote in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, you know, smartphones were were a relatively new thing. But people knew how to make desktop software, so you had like companies like Microsoft knew how to make 
you know, Microsoft Word. And so everyone yeah. thought, well, okay, I guess we're just recreating the old reality in the new technology. So like smartphone apps were like shrunken down versions of desktop apps. But like, that's not what happened. That's not how it like, went, yeah. right? It took the, the native generation of designers to figure out and actually make new experiences. And right now that same thing is happening, I think, with video. Like you've got the first generation thinking is always just trying to recreate the previous reality using yes. the new limitations. And so the, the first generation thinking around video is like, well, okay, so we used to have meetings. And what were meetings? Meetings were like a bunch of boring people sitting in a room and, you know, for like a preset period of time talking about like some number of subjects. So they can't be in the same room anymore because of COVID. So how do we like, yeah. how do we get as close as possible to a bunch of boring people in a boring room, but with computers? Like, that's, <laughs> that's like the first gen video conferencing yes. system. Yeah. And obviously, like, that's not what it's going to be soon, because the, the, the second generation, the third generation comes along and says, like, well, we're not we shouldn't be trying to recreate stage plays or, you know, meetings. We should be figuring out, like, well, what's a completely new thing? Yeah. Why did we have the meetings in the first place? And so I think what we're seeing now is this this the first like native to video products like and I think we're one of them. Mm. Um, and yeah, they're going to change the way I think they're going to change the way we do just about everything in life over the next few years. Are there any other things that come to mind that other people are doing that are interesting? These kind of, as you say, these kind of native video functions that could become kind of ubiquitous or more common? Yeah, I, I mean, I think everyone's trying to figure it out. I think the big companies are all are all trying really hard to kind of reinvent what the experience is. So definitely, you know, Zoom and WebEx and Microsoft and everyone is in Google and people are trying there. There's been a bunch of startups, you know, Loom's doing interesting stuff. There's a lot of cool things around kind of audio and video editing. It's like Andrew Mason's new thing, I'm like blanking the name. It's called like Descript or something, I want to say. Descript, really cool. yeah. yeah. Yeah, Descript, yeah. yeah. So there's been a bunch of like innovation, but I don't think anyone knows how it's all going to shake out. Mm. Usually when something this dramatic happens, you know, it just takes, you know, it's going to take a couple of years for, to figure out like, what are the platforms and what are the applications and how does it all, how does all of it fit together? So I think you're, yeah. I think we're looking at like a multi-trillion dollar reorganization of the world right now. You think it's and, that profound? Yeah. I think it's as big as, like, I remember the first time. I remember when I started my first company. It was in 1997 because I'm old. What was your company? It was called Engine Five, and it was uh, it was it was one of the first like dot com companies. Like I used to run around and say dot com a lot. We we, we build like uh, e commerce. We built some of the very first like like stores on the internet. Wait uh, a minute, you and, can buy stuff online? That's well, wacky. Exactly, <laughs> and well, and I remember the debates. I remember like yeah. like people arguing about like. This is back in like 97, people would argue, well, what percentage of companies do you think are going to be on the internet? And some people were like, I think 25% of companies are going to be on the internet eventually. And other people were like, that's stupid. It won't be more than 2%. Right. And we were like, we think it's going to be 100%. <laughs> and, you know, like 100% of well, close to 100% yeah. of everything got on the internet over the next decade. And the internet wound up like completely changing virtually everything in the world over the following mm -hmm. decade because like it all became part of it. And I think the same thing is happening right now. We're, we're calling this in this new industry. We're calling it uh, personal video presence or professional video presence. Right. And so the idea is like in the before times, you know, eight is months PVP going to be a thing that we're going to have to? PVP. Is that, this is going to be an acronym. We're another acronym. We're going to have to learn now. Uh, is... Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, PVP, if you think about eight months ago, what percentage yeah. of every school, restaurant, gym, club, company, like what percent of, every, of all organizations had to like conduct important parts of business over video on a regular basis? Probably like less than 1%. But now and forever in the future, close to 100%. Are going to have to not like not entirely on video, but like video will yeah. play an important part. Just like the internet didn't mean like didn't replace everything; it just embedded itself into everything. Right. Video is going to be the same way. So we're going to see it's 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 going to be just like dot com twenty years ago, except you know how like it sounds stupid to say dot com because you can't really tell what anyone is talking about because everything is like everything became dot com, so it lost its yeah. meaning. It's the same yeah. thing. In within a few years, like everything is going to have a, a fundamentally video component. The whole world gets rewritten. So I think it's as big a transformation as the commercial internet, except I think it's going to happen faster because I think it took about 10 years for mm. .com to become like ubiquitous. And it wasn't, the catalyst wasn't this dramatic event that forced fundamental behavior change on everybody in an instant. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, there, you know, there were dramatic events in the middle of that. There was, you know, 9-11 and there was, a, yeah. there was all sorts of reorientation. There were a lot of shocks to the system. But yeah, you're right. Um, but I think so now it took about 10 years. It took like from the mid nineties to the mid two thousands for like everything to get online. I think it's going to take about 18 months for everything to get on video and we're only, and we're probably halfway through it already. So like that it's, a, I think it's a scale of transformation that is multi-trillion dollars. The biggest that, that, you know, I've seen in my lifetime. So you've raised what, $30 million now and, and you've created this five months ago, which is. Yeah. 36, I think. Yeah. 36. 36. And led by Sequoia, I've heard of them. I think a people, couple, couple people have heard of Sequoia before. Good folks, yeah. Yeah. So, how was that process? And is what you're saying this thesis? Is this the next kind of thesis in the valley right now? And do you think it has more staying power than say? I'm thinking, and I don't know why this popped into mind. Driverless cars. We have I don't know how many dozens of driverless cars companies. A lot of these have gone away or been acquired or kind of disappeared it's still going to happen but it's much less dramatic perhaps than was billed even a few years ago yeah. so i'm just wondering I, what you what what your take is of just like out there in the world when you're talking to vcs is there is there a similar kind of enthusiasm for what you're talking about i mean i'm not i'm not a vc anymore you know i was for a couple of years i think when yeah. we first met so i i'm like i don't get to have an investment thesis anymore i just get to you know build <laughs> stuff uh, so i think so so this is the fastest i've seen around go certainly the fastest i've ever like participated and i've been raising money for stuff for forever since 97 apparently yeah but i think the main thing was not so much because of the thesis i think that's believable and i think people mm -hmm. kind of intuitively think that this could be a massive thing but that's not enough i think the reason that this went so fast there was so much enthusiasm was it wasn't an, a theoretical exercise every single person or investor that I showed this to immediately wanted to use it themselves. Yes. Yeah, so like right. they didn't have to think about like hypothetically, like what's the, who's the target audience? Like they all wanted it right now for themselves and their friends and with their portfolio companies. So it's just like, because of the timing was just so sharp because like everyone was bored of living on video. Everyone was finding it tedious and like everyone could immediately see, Oh, I want that right now. And then just, I think mm -hmm. as an investor that rarely happens, like you rarely see something where, you both kind of understand what the long-term potential might be. Again, you know, it's early stage. So you don't have to be confident that it's going to be true. You just have to believe that it's plausible, that it's going to be, yeah. you know, massive. But more importantly, it's like, yeah, I want to use it. I want to be a target customer. And it's in that case, it was a little bit similar to, to what we did at Evernote, where, you know, at Evernote, all of 100% of our investors, when I was there, 
we're fans of the product first. Right. And a lot of the things that I've worked on as a founder, as an investor, kind of before that and after that, like didn't have that, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a product that like people could immediately see how they wanted to use it themselves. You had to take so a couple was, kind of mental leaps to get to where, right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that was part of the, that was part of why it happened so fast. So yeah, we have, we got an amazing set of investors at Sequoia and, uh, and human capital and uh, a bunch of, a bunch of people from Hollywood, a bunch of international investors. So it was, it was good. You got the uh, Instagram guys, right? They've invested. Yeah, yeah. Kevin and Mike uh, were, were, came in, or angel investors, and uh, Kevin and Julia from from Eventbrite, and uh, Linda Kozlowski from, uh, from Blue Apron. It was it was a lot, but again, I think it was just like, you know, we we went out of our way to get people. Well, those people were, you know, we were close with anyway, uh, and I think they just saw the the potential themselves, so yeah. we, were, we were excited to have their support. But then we we tried to go out. Since the whole point of mm-hmm is injecting some amount of entertainment and personality, you know, into all of your video life, we thought, you know, not everyone is boring on a camera. Like there's entire industries <laughs> that are actually pretty good at being entertaining on camera. So like yeah. let's learn from them. So we, we we specifically went to the worlds of you know film and sports and music and television and, and try to get investors from there just so that we can actually learn, you know, so the rest of us can can learn from people who don't suck on camera. Right. So. If what I read is true, the company has a valuation. I mean, I know this is all kind of, it's all make-believe in a way until, but valuation of $100 million, you're five months old. But how defensible is this? Because I know that we've written a lot about Zoom and the whole Zoom effect, and obviously everybody's seen what their stock price has done, et cetera. Like, they're a big company, and I know people always make these arguments, but like, they know video, they're video first. Of course. How hard would it be for them to just make some functionality to, to Facebook you if you're Snapchat, they're Facebook? Like, we'll just do what you've done. Yeah, look, I think it's always that's always possible that, you know, on the scale of, you know, of things that cause startups to fail, you know, a bigger company doing their thing better happens, but it's actually fairly rare. Like, that is not yeah. in the top, you know, five or 10 reasons why startups fail. So, you know, this pointless worrying about things that, you know, aren't the most likely things to, A, they're not the most likely things to actually kill you, and B, you can't do anything about them anyway. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's you know, Zoom is a great company. You know, I've actually kind of friendly with Eric, have been for years. I, I know they know what they're doing. At this point, we have a really good, you know, partnership uh, relationship yeah. with them. That may change. But all of that is going to, like, whenever there's something this big, this new in the industry, it's going to take a couple of years. There's going to be just a, a swarm of startups and big companies figuring out what their place in all this is. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of like, there's going to be a lot of frenemies. There's going to be a lot of, you know, partnering and competing. There's going to be a lot of consolidation. We just have no idea. So the best we can do is just really focus on making a great product and, uh, you know, trying to be as, as compatible and friendly as possible with everyone. So that's the strategy right now, but obviously there's going to be lots of, lots of turbulence. Yeah. But I think this is the same in kind of any, Anytime there's a, the birth of a new industry like this, it's, it's never smooth sailing. That's okay. Don't miss out on our flash sale. Subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times with 50% off for six months. That's right, five zero. Sale ends today. That's October 30th at 5 p.m. So run, don't walk. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley so that they know that I sent you. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Where 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Who, who uses this? Or what do you think are the kind of your biggest markets for this technology? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's for everyone who just wants to have more personality in their in their video life, right on on their Zoom calls and their in their presentations and all the stuff that we've do with video, so it's it's pretty broad based, and we're still in beta, so you know we don't we don't we haven't launched a product yet. We're still in in, yeah. in closed beta, although we'll be launching hopefully in a few weeks at this point, or getting close to it. And would that be for kind of consumer or enterprise? Initially, so the, the first version will be consumer. It'll be a, you know a B two C product. Uh, we think a lot of the use will be among professionals. And then we'll have an actual enterprise version a few months, you know, a few months later. So right now we've seen a bunch of traction just in our beta test, huge from education. Like it just makes a ton of sense for education, both teachers right. and students. Another one that um, it's actually kind of funny because it's similar, and I think for similar reasons to to what happened at Evernote. At Evernote, one of our first clusters of like real community usage, where we just had like we saw that we had a lot of a, like a really good fit early on, which was totally unexpected, was among clergy. Like we just had a bunch of people really? use Evernote. Yeah. Among like there was like a whole source of priests and ministers and rabbis that just like used Evernote. And it kind of made sense when you think about it. You know, like you're trying to come up with something interesting to say once a week. You need a place to like write things down and clip things. Yeah. And you kind of want yeah, to yeah. When you're walking so. to the supermarket and someone picks up a pear for somebody else and you're like, ah, oh, I can yeah. make a story out of this. Exactly. Right. You're like, you're on a deadline. It's like every week you got to come up with like something spiritual and inspirational. Yes. So if like I, it uh, out yeah, was... I should, I should use an Evernote because the amount of story ideas I have that I don't write down and then remember, re-remember like three weeks later is infuriating. Well, you know, you're not being judged by God every week. I know. And I'm not being judged by stories. God. Thank God. So, yeah. <laughs> so we had a lot of usage among clergy, which is kind of interesting. And we're seeing the same thing again here, which again, totally makes sense. Of course, something like mm-hmm would be great for, you know, for religious communities and services. So we're seeing a bunch of that. But we're also seeing tons of sales teams, you know, bankers, investment bankers, big mm. companies. But uh, and we're starting to do we're starting to do community stories. So we're starting to just like look at, you know, what people are using it for. There was a great one, I think, last week that we posted, which is this group of uh, hospital clowns. Hospital clowns. Hospital clowns. So they do. They're, what they do is they they entertain children in in, yeah. in hospitals, and uh, you know because of the pandemic, they can't really like show up, and you know entertain kids in hospitals anymore. So so they they started doing it 
you know, they tried doing it over video, but it's just kind of boring. Yeah. And so they've been using mm-hmm and like they love it. And so they posted a video of like the two of them, you know, in their healthcare kind of entertainment company uh, using it. And it's great. So, yeah. So we've got teachers, we've got hospital clowns, we've got investment bankers. Like, I think it's a, it's a good spectrum. Hospital clowns to investment bankers. That's that's your pitch. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, again, it's still closed beta. So we'll have to see in a yeah. few months. How many people are in that beta? How many people are using it? Couple like uh, I've had a few, I think a couple hundred thousand signups, and you know I don't even know how many people are using it, but some you know some tens of thousands are like using right. it on a regular basis. It, it's closed beta, so we have to be like we have a very specific goal for the beta, which is not to like we're not trying to create FOMO. This is not a marketing thing at all for us. Uh, every day we invite a small number of new people so that we have a statistically significant sample to test the previous night's fixes. And so we're basically right. limiting the number of people we come in so that we always have like a statistically significant number to actually make sure the product's getting better. So it's a very rigorous, like improve the product beta, not a, you know, generate FOMO and get people to sign up. When we launch, we're close to the end of it. So I think in, in a few weeks we'll be publicly available and then we'll try to get as many people as possible to, to sign up. But for right. now, it's for now, it's been limited by like we, we constrain it by inviting, you know, usually just a few hundred people every day. Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the name? Yeah, um, I mean, there's lots of like lots of I, well, what, I'm, I presume you didn't use like you know call up uh, the best kind of Madison Avenue advertising agency and be like, get us a really cool name, and they're like, <laughs> here it is, and our, here's our bill for five hundred grand or whatever. Uh, we did, we did, you know, after we picked the name, we did actually hire a small agency, just people that we like, uh, that we've worked with to come up with a big list of alternate names, because before we actually wanted to commit to, mm-hmm, we wanted to see like yeah. what, what other options were. So we actually did have like uh, a bunch of other names afterwards, but I had kind of already made up my mind. So did, uh, did any of the uh, alternatives kind of almost make the cut? There was a few good ones that we might, you know, we might use for, for, for stuff in the future, but mm-hmm, I think, uh, uh, I think it's great. So what the product is for is for performing, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're not a communication tool. We're not a collaboration tool. We're not like where your team gathers to do work. Like there's so much great stuff about that. We are explicitly for performing. We want to improve your level of performance on video because that's one of the main things that suffered in the pandemic during lockdown is I think all of us, people who are decent at their jobs, inherently are performers. Some of them acknowledge it, some of them don't. And almost none of us know how to do that over video. And so if you used to be like a really good teacher and now you're teaching over video, it sucks. You don't know, you don't know how to do yeah. it. You've lost like the, the, the charisma, like salespeople have lost it. Like it's just hard. And so we want to like inject high quality performance back into video. So we're for performing. And the name mm-hmm, is something that is uh, very easy to say thoughtlessly. Like uh, if you're not trying to say the name, Right, you just say it without thinking. You say, mm-hmm. I know. I just realized that as you were giving that explanation, I did say at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I notice it all the time. People, it's yeah. so easy to say without thinking, but it's actually hard to say intentionally. So even it I, is. like, if I if I'm trying to say the name of the company intentionally, I have to like pause for half a second because I have to consider like how am I going to like which syllable am I going to inflect? <laughs> how am I going to pronounce it? And so yeah. it's almost like it is the only name I've ever seen that you cannot say thoughtlessly when you're trying to. Like it doesn't roll off the tongue. You have mm. to like pause. And it almost means like every time I say the name, it's like a little micro performance. Like you, you perform it every time you say yeah. it. And I think like the product is for performing and just to like get you started as like a little micro performance, even when you just like think of the name. I think it's kind of a beautiful thing. Uh, lots of people hated the name. Yeah. Was that just like a, a moment of inspiration? 
I mean, where did you, how'd you come up with it? Did it just kind of occur to you or did you, was this like an active, like, you know, the end of a 12 hour brainstorming session after you had not eaten for five days. So you're thinking really clearly. <laughs> we, we, well, I was thinking I was, I was, I was on a zoom call with a bunch of people trying to figure out like what we should call it. And, you know, we were just naming sessions, always the generate, at least with me, ex- very quickly into just, you know, jokes. Yeah. Uh, and so we were just throwing ideas back and forth and we had some, you know, we had some other name ideas. And uh, so we were, it was part of trying to figure out what to call yeah. it. And then, yeah, this just sort of popped out and I thought, right. oh, that's really bad, but it could really work well. Right. Yeah. And then after that, like I, I suggested it and we went through many dozens of other names because, you know, so even for me, like I wasn't confident that this is the name we should use. You know, it's good so far. And what startup number is this for you now? Five. Five. Yeah. And you had actually said in passing earlier that, you know, getting kind of outdone by a bigger company is not usually amongst the top five or ten things that goes wrong for a startup. What are, like, the top things that go wrong with a startup? You've, you've, you've had lots of practice at this since 97. I'm sure you've seen it all. Yeah. I mean, the five that I've started have actually been – okay. So I haven't learned too much from direct failure yet. There's always time, you know, night's still young. I've been involved <laughs> in a few hundred more, you know, as an investor or an angel yeah. investor. So I think I've seen, you know, a few hundred. So, you know, startups, all startups fail for the same reason. Um, they run out of money. Like that's, 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 that's the immediate <laughs> proximate cause. So it's also a variation of that. Yeah. And uh, in terms of like specific mistakes, it's, you're much more, much more likely, you know, to have, employee drama or founder drama or, you know, just a complete lack of product market fit, uh, not being honest with yourself about when something is working or not working. A lot of it is just execution, right? This is the whole point of all turtles that, you know, startup number four and, and, and the product studio that we're running is like, let's avoid some of the amateur mistakes that every single startup right. makes because every startup is like a do over from scratch where no one knows what they're doing. So let's like have a bunch of things where people know about pricing and intellectual property and all of the stuff that like startups don't know about so that can right. be done professionally. So, you know, it's usually some combination of, you know, inexperience and drama. Competition, you know, rarely happens. I have this theory of, of startups. I have, I have this threat model, which mm-hmm. is the rock, paper, scissors threat model. This sounds very, very scientific. I like it. Let's, yeah, it's, let's... it's extremely scientific. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, rock, paper, scissors model of like business uh, threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, where very very early stage startups are scissors, um, already successful but recent, like medium size but like new, like successful startups are rocks, and like mm-hmm. giant long established companies are paper. And the threat works the way you expect. So when you're a small startup, like you're scissors, you're like really fast. Your job is to like dart in and out and um, cut through paper. The big companies do not threaten you. Yeah, like they can't do anything against you. They're way too slow. They're not your competitors, like they're your targets. You can dart in there, you can cut away portions of their market share, you can steal their employees and their customers. They can't do anything. They can't even like acquire you because if yeah. they acquire you, if, if, if paper, if a big company acquires you and you're still scissors, like you just like run around inside and leave after two years with their best people. Like it's just yeah. like, it, it's, they're really defenseless. So you don't have to worry about like industries that are dominated by paper companies where there hasn't been much innovation, where there's a few big players, like perfect startup land. Yeah. The other things that don't threaten you if you're a startup are other startups because like the other scissors don't matter because like no one cares it just yeah. what what matters but what is very threatening are the are the rocks these are the the recently successful startups because uh um, we're still small and hungry 
they're still, yeah, and, and they still move pretty fast. Maybe yeah. not as fast as you, but pretty fast. And when they move, they move with force. They move mm-hmm. with, you know, millions of dollars and lots right. of users. Like they can they can punch with force. So the, the competition that you have to be afraid of as a startup are the recently successful startups. So for example, when we started Evernote, there were no there were no rocks in the space. It was all right. like Microsoft, no Microsoft Office and Lotus Notes and whatever. There hadn't been innovation, you know, 20, 30 years. And so us and Dropbox and a bunch of other companies that started in productivity at roughly the same time, like mm. it was great. But then like three years later, there was already Evernote and Dropbox and a few of these others. And it was actually not a really good time to, you yeah. know, to start a new startup because we were still pretty fast. Uh, but then, you know, things slowed down until a couple of years ago. There was still, you know, like there weren't that many rocks anymore. And it was again, again, the, the time was ripe for, you know, Figma and Notion and Rome and all these kinds of things. Right. So that's kind of how it works. Uh, and by the time you actually get to be like medium sized and successful, you're a rock. The raw startups don't threaten you very much because you can just copy them yeah. and you're still fast enough to do it. But now the big companies are a threat because they've got like lawyers and contracts and a lot of paper and you're going after the same customers and like they can actually like they can underprice you. They can like do a lot, you know, and then by the time you're a big company, you know, you, your, your vulnerability is the, is the new entrance, the new disruptors. So right. I think like I think this video stuff is changing so fast that there's relatively few rocks right now. There's a lot of paper. There's a lot of like yeah. WebEx and things like that. And all of them, you know, Zoom, you know, Zoom is, is arguably the closest thing to a rock because like they, were, yeah. they weren't that, they're not that big and that old. But all these companies are very much trying to invent the new reality while at the same time satisfying existing customers. And, but there's no rocks. We're going to be one of the first. And, right. you know, and maybe a few other, a few of these other like uh, scissors that got started right in the past couple of months, like a year from now, we're going to be the rocks. Then it's going to become a harder time for, you know, for new companies to come in. Well, just thinking about that, like if your thesis is right, and this is like an eighteen-month, mega trillion-dollar. What, what do you mean? If this is science, man, this is like uh, no. Uh, well, that's very uh, after your um, your explanation. It is very clearly science. So, apologies. yeah, totally science. <laughs> but if that is if we're eight, if it's an eighteen-month process, and we're already say halfway through, when you started messing around with this, and you saw that it had. Like people were kind of into it. Was there like an oh shit moment of like oh god, we actually have to make something and make it fast and kind of raise money and kind of move very quickly? Yeah, yeah. I used to. Uh, uh, I used to do. Is I used to skydive. I haven't. And well, actually, no. Last time I went was I think a couple of years ago. But I used to skydive a lot when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, because it was a very carefully calculated thing. Uh, basically, you know, I'm a giant nerd. I'm an endorsement. I'm totally physically uncoordinated. I could never do any sports. And I just got tired in my twenties of like all of my friends were like into, you know, skiing and other stuff. And I couldn't do any of that stuff. And so I decided like, I need to start doing an activity that requires uh, no skill. uh, That is totally safe (laughs) because I'm kind of a coward. Like I didn't actually want to be injured. Uh, But that looks kind of badass. So I was, I happened to be working, building software for a health insurance company. So I like, I looked at the actuarial tables and like, ah, skydiving. All you do is fall. Just don't freak out. The accident rates are minuscule, basically never happens. Unless you're, you know, really showing off. So I started skydiving because it's yeah. easy. It's super fun. Sounds badass, even though you don't do anything. Yeah. And um, I became friends with with a guy who was a skydiving instructor at one of my one of the places that I used to go. Mm. And he tells the story about uh, how he, be, you know, how one becomes a skydiving instructor. He says, you know, you train a lot and you dive and whatever, and then you like have this other training to be an instructor. And they do these. Uh, it, the way that I learned 
Uh, it's called accelerated free fall. It's basically an intensive training where you, you don't do tandem. You like from your first jump, you're jumping out by yourself, but you're jumping out alongside of other instructors who like jump with right. you, but they're not attached to you to make sure that goes wrong. But it's like much more right. instruction than that. So he was getting licensed to do that. And towards the end of the, of the process to get licensed, basically you already have students, but you get like a student that's just like really there to test you. So like the, you know, the guild or whatever will send a fake student. Right. So he, who does so it he all gets wrong. the student. Yeah, he gets the student and, you know, total beginner, the student, and he's doing all the stuff during the ground class. And he's like, you know, eight hours and everything is like, he's sort of like kind of this doofusy, you know, guy, yeah. but he, you know, the, my friend, the instructor, the total student. Anyway, he passes the class, they get into the plane, they're going to go on their first jump together. The way this works is you're basically sitting on the floor of this airplane. They just take mm. all the chairs out, the plane starts flying. It takes a while to get up to altitude because, you know, yeah. these are the best planes. Sometimes like a half hour, 40 minutes, and you're just sitting there nervous the whole time as a student. And so he's sitting there. His alleged student is, you know, sitting next to him, a bunch of other people in the plane. They're chatting. You, you jump at 14,500 feet. So it takes a while to get up to 14,500 yeah. feet to jump. And you want to go high because then you have like, it's much safer the higher you go because you have more time yeah. to correct for things. And at about 5,000 feet, you know, they're only been there for 10 minutes. His student, all of a sudden, who was just sitting there quietly, all of a sudden the student jumps up, you know, in the plane yells i go now and runs out the door like runs out the airplane and jumps what? out and my friend the instructor like the next thing he knows he's like outside as well because like that's that's his job like that's the test yeah. that's what he has to do so he like obviously you know without any questions he's just like out the door catching up with this guy you know obviously he was okay it turned out he was like a you know a master yeah. skydiver so he was fine so to me this stuck in my head this i go now where it's like most of the time, you can be totally chill. And skydiving instructors, for the most part, are a really chill group of people. Yeah. Like, hanging out by the campfire. Like, it's very nice. But, like, once in a while, I go now. And then, like, right. you, don't, you don't think. You don't debate. You go. And this was definitely an I go now. This was right. like, okay, we're onto something. Okay. Like, I go now. Move, this yeah. is it. Move fast and don't break things. That's not always the answer. That's yeah, rarely yeah. the answer. Yeah. But when it's the answer, you know it. And it's the answer. Right. And then just lastly, before I let you go, so let's delve into an alternative universe where tomorrow we have a vaccine. Mm -hmm. We have a vaccine and people believe that it will work and not do something horrible to you. And so yeah, everybody takes yeah. it. Hopefully. And COVID disappears. Do you believe that this past seven, eight months, whatever it's been, has been so dramatic that enough people, companies, society, whatever, have seen that like there's a lot more you can do without being present that this shift is has staying power, this shift to video. Yeah. In fact, I think that's the that's the reality that we're building for is the, that that is the hybrid world that we're building for. Like right now, we're barely hybrid. We're mostly remote. Yeah. Hybrid really means a combination of them. So yeah, absolutely. I think once we have a vaccine and once we can travel, then what stays is all of the stuff that we figured out is much better when we do it this way. And so it, it becomes fully hybrid. Like, for example, you know, healthcare. Like, mm. I'm never going to, you know, nine months ago, if I wanted to go see a doctor, I'd have to, like, pick up my phone and call and talk to someone and make an appointment and then, like, sit in traffic for yeah. 45 minutes and then, like, sit in the waiting room with a bunch of other sick people waiting for the doctor to see me who was then could only see me for 20 minutes asking me some questions, trying to, like, get rid of me as fast as possible because they don't really get paid very much for that initial visit anyway. Yeah. That's obviously stupid. And it's yeah. obviously better the way it is right now, where I hop online, like it works. If I need to then come in in person, then that gets scheduled. So like, I'm never going to like go see a doctor 
the same way that I used to, because why would I? It's better this way. And a lot of those experiences are going to be are going to be like this. Like some of them pretty profound, I think, changes for society. Uh, like um, uh, we gave up our office right, a few months ago. So we were all fully oh, virtual. Yeah, fully virtual now. And I kind of miss it. You know, I kind of miss yeah. like seeing people. But I have a superpower now, which is 100% of the our job listings. We just, po- we just put up like something like 22 job listings for yeah. open jobs that we're hiring. All of them say global. And I'm never going to give right. that up. Like the ability to hire people from anywhere in the world is such a vast superpower for like knowledge companies. I'm never going to give that up. I'm never going to write right. a job description again that says looking for, you know, machine learning engineers in San Francisco. Like why would I yeah. ever put in San Francisco? Looking to pay 50% more than I would have to pay anyone el- anywhere else in the world. I mean, it isn't even so much about how much more you pay. It's just like they're impossible to get. Yeah. Of course, I'd want to like expand that that net. And so... What am I willing to to pay in order to keep being able to work with the most brilliant people everywhere in the world and not force right. them to sit in traffic and not force them to move? Like I'm willing to right. put up with a lot. So some of these experiences, I think, for a lot of companies and people, they're never going back to the way they were. They'll be a lot better than they are now because we won't have this this god awful pandemic. But yeah, this this hybrid model is is here, you know, is here permanently. Lastly, on that point you just made. Are you a buyer or seller of San Francisco as the center of the tech universe going forward? I'm still in San Francisco. I'm still there. I haven't fled yet, although I'm kind of working on it. I'm trying to decide, you know, where oh, really? I really want to be. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to make sense to at least for now be in the center of the city. I'm also like in the mission, which is like pointless because it's not like I'm going to want to hang out at the restaurants and bars anymore. Yeah. I really think that the way that San Francisco was before the pandemic was pretty bad. It was pretty yeah. bad for San Francisco and it was pretty bad for the world. So this this concentration of entrepreneurial energy and capital in this one city obviously wasn't good for San Francisco because San Francisco as a city was pretty terrible. Mm. And like it's hard to believe that that was in spite of all the, the concentration of tech, right? It was probably at least in some part because of the concentration yes. of tech. So it was pretty bad for the people in San Francisco and obviously it was bad for the rest of the world in terms of the inefficiencies of like sucking everyone to here. So, you know, part of the reason we started All Turtles, and this was, you know, four years ago, this was way before the pandemic, was to even things out, is to say really exceptional talent is very, very rare, but is evenly distributed in the world. And mm. we want to be able to like, work with exceptionally talented people everywhere so that was always the mission which is why you had the offices kind of dotted around yeah we had we had offices in tokyo and paris and now now we don't have offices anywhere because but we have people everywhere we have people in lots of countries all over the u.s all over other parts of the world so i'm actually very optimistic that both the city of san francisco and the rest of the world would be much improved if we broke the the monopoly of like technology in this in this area and i do think that the i do think the pandemic will do it do you think that monopoly is breaking or is breakable because the argument i always hear is well there's no place like this place because for example you have this idea you've kind of trying to catch lightning in a bottle and then you go down the street and there's sequoia and then there's andreessen horowitz and then there's the Instagram founders, and they're all here, and that whole kind of virtuous kind of circle, if you will, of people that just grows the more companies are founded here and people get rich here, etc. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's easy to say, well, I didn't actually talk to any of these people in person <laughs> at all, right? So, like, I, right. I met with no no investors, right? This is I haven't I've I've now hired a lot of people without ever meeting them. A hundred percent of the money that we took was there was no physical meeting, so it wouldn't have mattered where I was. But of course, that's mm. sort of not true because I 
I met all these people already, yeah. you know, back so in the before world. Yeah. Not all. I mean, there's also a lot of new investors that I've never met before, but obviously I had a big advantage because, because I had known a lot of people and because I was already kind of in this world. Yeah. And so I think like for older people who are already kind of established, it actually, you probably don't lose very much by moving out of here. Like, I don't yeah. think it'll matter for me whether I'm in San Francisco or not, because it's fine. Yeah. If for people who aren't established yet, who are trying to, you know, who are trying to be, it's different. Mm. And whether or not like young people will still want to be in a particular place, maybe, but, or maybe they'll have to be like, somebody will have to invent new ways of establishing yourself. I'm not sure. But yeah. in general, I think San Francisco was, you know, it was a pretty, it was a very unhealthy place. It was a very unhealthy place before the pandemic. It actually handled the pandemic, you know, better than most cities, but yeah. it was a very unhealthy place in terms of the society before the pandemic. And the the vast concentration of wealth and, and, and tech here yeah. was also, I think, bad for outcomes everywhere else. So I'm kind of glad to see it breaking apart and hopefully right. it'll do so in a way that's that's healthy for everyone. But, and do you know a lot of people who are skedaddling, going out somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that is real because you never... Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm a journalist, but sometimes you read stories, you're like, eh. You know. no, I, mean, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hang around. You know, I'm gonna spend uh, 2021, I think, in a few different places, just figuring out where I want to be, and I may very well come back to the Bay Area, kind of at yeah. the end of that. Uh, that's definitely a strong possibility because I, I don't know yet. I'm actually going to be in a few different places. So I'm trying to trying to figure it out. Are you going to really just dive all in and go like live in a yurt somewhere, or are you going to kind of just go to a cool few, few cool cities and figure out which one you like? Well, I think my plans are definitely going to be yurt-like, but the reality is going to be I'm going to wind up in a few cool cities because you know, <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> it, is, it is easier. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have my yurt fantasies, but yeah, I'll see. So by the end yeah. of 2021, the goal is to figure it out. Am I back here? Right. Not. We'll see. I think a lot of things will be clearer in the next few months anyway. Well, if you end up in a yurt, the good thing is you have like you'll have a solid background probably on most walls, so you can kind of. Mm-hmm, that's fine. All you just need there is Wi-Fi. Exactly. Well, I look forward to seeing how it all goes. You're only five months in, so you're. this is the early days. Yeah, super early, right at the beginning of it. But I have, I have a good feeling about it. And, and it's a really cool team. It's a, yeah. It's This is the best team I've ever, I've ever worked with. And so it feels like we're figuring out a bunch of important stuff. Cool. And that is all the time we have. I wanted to thank Phil for mm-hmm with me. That's really hard to say. It's a strange name. Anyhow, um, I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings and reviews. There's been more rolling in lately, which is really awesome. Actually, you know, I open up my little Apple Podcast app and I check the reviews. And when it ticks up and there's a nice new review, it actually makes my day. So keep them coming, y'all. I will be writing maybe about this, but... Well, I'll be writing about lots of stuff this weekend in The Times. So do pick up a paper or go on to thetimes.co.uk or you can tweet at me as discussed. And that's it. I hope you all stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you thanks to the support of readers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley.
you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.